about a word this morning that the Lord made me think about before he gave me the rest of the sermon. I thought about the word for two days. It's not in the Bible. Not the same word. The meaning is it's a word called authentic. Do you know what authentic is? It's things that are real. If you think about it, that word being authentic or authenticity is the noun. It's what every Christian has to prove to those they're speaking to in order to be heard. I was taught early on not to listen to a Mormon because they're a Mormon. We had classes in a church I was at that told us not to listen to a Jehovah's Witness, Jehovah's Witness, to order them off your front stoop. And I disobeyed because I've had conversations with both of those and I found out they didn't believe at all like I was told they believed not the ones I talked to. Not to say that someone who follows those ways of thinking won't cause problems with us and the way we think about God. But I'm going to say this. Don't withhold your evangelistic talk from anybody because you've heard they are anything. Everybody's got a soul and everybody that God wants to be saved can be saved. There's a little verse in 6th chapter of John, verse 44. You don't have to turn there. But John 6, 44 says, Jesus says, nobody can come to me except the Father draw them. So if God wants you saved, you're going to be saved. (laughs) But in order to be what God has called us to be, we've got to be authentic. Or at least we've got to prove to whoever we're talking to that we're talking authentically, that we're real. If you've ever talked to somebody about Jesus, you know they're going to stare you right square in your eyeballs. They're trying to figure out, are you trying to sell them something, or are you real? That's what they want to know. I didn't fully understand my Bible when it said that God is, when we worship God, we must worship Him in spirit and in truth because he's looking for people who worship him in spirit and in truth. I was way on a Christian, 30 years a Christian, maybe 40. 
before I realized exactly what that thing said. God is looking for people who worship him in spirit. That means you've got to be a Christian to worship him. But to worship him in truth, what does that mean? And what I learned was that word that they translated truth can just as easily be translated reality. So the thing is, if you truly worship God, and that's what he's looking for, you've got to worship him in spirit as a Christian because non-Christians can't worship him. And reality, you've got to be real. We talked one week, several weeks ago, God put this word on me, persona. And I went back and studied it for a couple of days. And I found out the word persona is that life that we live out in public in front of other people. That's that life that we want other people to think we're living. And when that life that we try to put forth that is living in us doesn't coincide with our heart, that's what makes a hypocrite. We're liars. We try to put on to other people to keep them from finding out who we really are. But I'm going to tell you this, you can't do that with God. When you deal with God, you got to be straight with him and you got to deal with him in a real fashion and you don't even sugarcoat anything to him. Oh, Lord, you know I wouldn't do that. Don't pull that on him because you lose credit because he knows you will. <laughs> what did we say a couple of weeks ago? Jesus, they said they believed on him, but he didn't believe on them because he knew man. He said man, nobody had to tell him what man were. He knew what man were know how they thought. So here's that word authentic that this sermon came from. Truth, real, and reality is authenticity. Turn to John chapter 3. When Jesus came he was raised in Nazareth, right? And when he became, when he started his ministry and the Holy Spirit got in him and he started doing miracles, when he went back home, he couldn't do anything much there. You know why? All the home folks said, we know him. His mama's married. His daddy was Joseph at Carpenter. We know Jude, his brother. We know Joseph, his brother. We know his sisters. Now, what is he coming out here trying to preach to us and tell us about heaven? What does he know about that? And it said he couldn't get much done in his home country because there was no belief. They didn't believe in him. John chapter 3 and verse 11 says this. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Jesus is talking, speak 
we speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and ye receive not our witness. Jesus says, I tell you about heaven because I've been there. You don't believe me. If I had told you earthly things, if I told you stuff about what's going on down here, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? He's making reasoning here. Why? Why did he say that? Look at verse 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven. Even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. I came from heaven. I'm telling you that I came from heaven. And you won't believe me. Because the only one who can tell you about heaven is somebody who's been there. And I'm the only one that's been there. And you don't believe me. Down verse 16. For God so loved the world. This preceded this very, very important verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's all about believing. What do you believe? Do you believe in Jesus? Was he authentic? Was he really the Son of God? They said there was over 200 men came during, that, during those days that claimed to be the Messiah because they knew that if they could talk people into believing they were the Messiah, people would do anything for them. 200. Is it so hard to believe that some of those people back in those days would not have believed in him if he was one of 200? Even though he did the miracles, I'm sure they were, that Satan was trying to take some of those others and give them the power to do some of those miracles too. But Jesus tried to prove his authenticity by controlling the demon world. People claim to be everything else, but nobody, from what I can understand, up until Jesus came, could demand that a demon, a servant of Satan himself, come out of a man and not go back in. He had control over the demon work. That was his claim to fame. Nobody else had ever done that. Whosoever. Believes. Me. Is what he's saying. Lives forever. Whoever believes me. Lives forever. Turn over a couple of pages to John chapter 5. Verse 36. 
They're talking about that John the Baptist came before Jesus as a forerunner of Jesus to tell the people that he was coming, to warn them and, and say, look out for him because there's somebody coming that's a whole lot greater than me. I'm not even worth, worthy to tie shoes, he said. Essentially, is what he said. But he said in verse 36 of chapter 5 of John, but I have greater witness than that of John for the works which the Father hath given me to finish. The same works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Now let me ask you something. Once you've got a fellow convinced that Jesus came from God the Father. Everybody knew about God the Father. Even those that didn't follow him knew about him because the Jews had that big temple right in the middle of town. Everybody else tried to worship him. The Syrians tried to worship him on a different mountain because they wouldn't let them worship him on Jerusalem's mountain. And here comes a man that's claiming he's the son of God. That is the blasphemy the Jews used to kill him. And the Father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. You've never seen my father. You've never been to heaven, he said a minute ago. You've never seen what I'm trying to tell you about. So how could you look at me straight in the face and tell me you don't believe it? <laughs> you hadn't been there. You hadn't seen God. You can't tell me you don't believe in him if you've never seen him. You've never seen it, heard his voice or seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you, for whom he has sent him ye believe not. You don't believe anything I've told you. Jesus' message to the world was this, simply put, with all the stuff that he said, and with all the directions he gave for how we're supposed to worship him, all that Paul preached about, all that Peter preached about, all that those, his disciples knew about him came from Jesus. And he said, you don't believe me. His whole ministry depended on people believing that he was the Son of God and had come from God and was actually sponsored by God. I do good works, Jesus says. You've seen them. Some of you say you claim to believe on me because of what the, the works I've done. To you, they're even miracles because you know that there's not one of you could do one of those things. But you say, I don't believe. Even when I see you do all that stuff, I don't believe you, Lord. 
I don't believe that you're God. He had to convince people who he was. You know, an amazing thing he said in John 20, 29, he said when, when, when he came back from the cross and appeared to the disciples and Thomas wasn't there, when the disciples told Thomas later that Jesus had been there and even still had the, the scars in his hands and the big gash in his side where they poked him with a steer, a spear. He said, Thomas? Thomas said, I'm not going to believe till I see him. Well, then when he came back and saw Jesus, he said, now I believe. And Jesus' response to Thomas was this, Thomas, you believe just because you saw me. You, you saw me when I went in the tomb. And now you've seen me with all the marks on me. You not only believe I'm who I claimed I was, but you know I died and here I am back again. Blessed are those who believe on me who have not seen me. You know who that is, people? That's me and you. I never saw Jesus. I got a picture in my mind of what he looked like, but I never saw him. But we believe to the extent that we go as far as we do to call ourselves Christians and do the things that Christians do, change our lives to be like Jesus. And we've never even seen him. Is it no wonder the heathen out here in the world can say, you folks are crazy. <laughs> you believe something you can't even see, never have seen. And look how close you try to live to what he wants you to be. So that comes down to us. We were created for good works. God put us here to be like Jesus because he loved Jesus so much for what he was. He wants us to be like Jesus so he can have more people to love. And we're called to be like Jesus. So what do you do when you share the Christ that you have the part of God himself that lives inside of you called the Holy Spirit, when you try to share that with people, what do you say? How do you try to convince them? Especially if you're obedient to Christ when he says, let your yea be nay and your nay be nay and don't swear by anything. You can't say to a person who doesn't know Christ, I swear it's true. You can't say that. So what do you do? You try to convince other people that you're authentic. That if there is such a thing as a real Christian, you are one. That's the only way they'll listen to you. Because once they get the words in their mind, then the Holy Spirit can take that and make them believe it or disbelieve it. But they got to get it in their mind first. 
Look at Romans chapter 16. It's just a little more over to the right. Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Here's Paul talking, trying to convince people he's real. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel, that preaching I've done, Paul says, and to the preaching of Jesus Christ, the preaching that I heard and am trying to preach the same way. According to the revelation of the mystery. Now that needs explaining. You know what the mystery is? The mystery is the church. The church was never mentioned until Pentecost, until until Christ mentioned it and said, I will build my church. That's the first anybody ever heard of a thing called church. They had a temple and they had the Jews, but they didn't call it a church. So the revelation of the mystery, the mystery is the church. Jesus told the mystery of the church. He told that there would be one was made up of everyone who believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what is the revelation? The revelation is the word that came to people from the church. It's spoken word. It's heard word. It can be written word. But in this case, mostly they're talking about what Anthony said that Sunday morning. Lord, give us the understanding of the meaning of the words in the Bible that are up under the word. Because it's there, you know that. There is a meaning that comes from your studying the scriptures that you don't know just by reading. You've got to have the Holy Spirit convince you of it, convict you of it, and explain it to you. Which was kept secret since the world began. Nobody's ever said anything about the church or Jesus came. but now is made manifest. Now it's brought out into the open. It's made public. People know what the church is because Jesus explained it to them. And by the scriptures of the prophets, now understand please something. During Jesus' day, the only scriptures they had was the Old Testament. The New Testament did not exist. So he's not talking about the New Testament here. He's talking about the Old Testament. According to the commandment of the everlasting God that's made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. How do you know how to act like a Christian unless God tells you how? And that's what he's saying here. God decided that it was time for the mystery that he had kept quiet ever since the beginning of time 
for Jesus to bring it out and tell it to people. Why? So they could have a choice whether or not to obey. The obedience of faith. To God only wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Let me say something you need to understand when you get your Bible out and read it. The New Testament is a bunch of letters, mostly, and some like Acts, accounts like Luke, wrote about what happened. Luke was the historian of the group. And most of these letters that were written by Paul and Peter to the churches and John weren't gathered up and put together until 200 years after Christ was born. So you see there's a space between the time that Christ died when he was here talking all this stuff and telling all the apostles and the people who would listen what was real there was a time of about 160 years maybe when there was nothing written down except one letter to Romans, the church at Romans had that letter Paul had sent them. And they knew that. They knew what it said. But they had no Bible. Most of the Bibles that was in existence at those times were in the temple. They were handwritten by the scribes. So unless you went and heard a Jewish sermon which you couldn't hurry here if you wasn't a Jew they wouldn't let you in so there was no way for people to get a lot of Bible stuff because there wasn't anything to read and before they started gathering these letters that these writers of the Bible put together and put together in a Bible because see Revelations wasn't even written till 90 A.D. So it was 110 years later before they got to getting all these letters together and made what is now called the New Testament. They had to get what they got out of the Old Testament. And it wasn't accessible to hardly anybody. So for 140 years or so, there were some people had heard some about some of these letters, but as far as having it all together in a New Testament, there wasn't no such thing. Turn on over a little bit more to the right to Galatians chapter 1. Now see, this is a letter that Paul wrote to Galatia, the church at Galatia. They saved that letter, I guess, and when they found out that everybody was putting these letters together because God wanted a book, they had to bring it together or copy it or something to put them all together into what is now the, 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 the New Testament. And this is where we got our instruction, or if you think, wonder why the early church had so much trouble being a church, it's because they didn't know how until Paul sent them a letter and told them how. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 10. Paul says, for do I now persuade men or God? I don't have to persuade men. God, because God knows who he is. 
He knows who Jesus is. He knows who everybody else is. So I'm not trying to persuade him. I'm trying to persuade you folks. Or do I seek to please men? Is the story I'm telling you, did it come from men or did it come from God? That's the question he's asking people. Do you, what do you think? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. I can't be preacher, a preacher for Christ and say what men taught me. I can't do that, Paul said. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it by man, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the explanation of the education of Paul as a Christian. For ye have heard of my conversation in time past, my behavior in the Jewish religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. I did so much harm to the church of God, I just about ruined it. I was killing people who claimed to be members of it and profited in the Jewish religion above many my equals in mine own nation. In other words, I did more damage to the church of Jesus Christ than most everybody who was with me as a Jew. Being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father, I was going to fight Jesus' church with the temple of the Jews and the Jewish religion. That's what he's saying. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. You see what he's saying here? When God decided that I'd be born again and I saw that I was saved, and I understood that Jesus had done it. He struck me down on that road. And when I realized what was going on, I never went and asked a Christian, not one single one. Not one. I conferred not with flesh and blood. I didn't go talk to my conversion to anybody. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, the disciples. But I went into Arabia. It says in other places, in the desert. I went out into the wilderness, he said, in the desert, in Arabia, and returned again unto Damascus. And he tells in other places it was in Arabia, in the desert, when Jesus taught him all he had taught the disciples from the revelation of Jesus Christ personally. I don't know whether Jesus did it face to face or whether he did it through the Holy Spirit. I imagine he did it through the Holy Spirit because that's the way he worked in that day. But Paul says, I am an apostle because I have seen Jesus face to face. So apparently, he had seen Jesus at some point because the only way you could be an apostle 
was to have seen Jesus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter. It was three years after I got saved before I ever went anywhere and talked to a Christian. And abode with him for 15 days to let him know who I was to prove to him that I was real. And for him to tell me or see that I knew what Jesus had taught them to. And abode with him 15 days. But other of the apostles saw I none save James, the Lord's brother. That's the only one he said he talked to. Now the things which I write unto you, behold, before God, I lie not. What's he doing? He's trying to prove to the church at Galatia that with his bad reputation in the past, as much damage as he had done to Christians, that he was not that person anymore. He tried to convince them he was real. He was authentic. That's what you had to do in that day to get converts, to bring people over to Jesus Christ. So then, what have we got today? We've got the, the scriptures today. We've got the New Testament. And that's where we get so much of what we preach and what we know and what we understand about how to operate a church and how to operate a person, how to have control of our own bodies. Our verse that we've used right here at this church is two weeks after we formed this church. Colossians 2.8, beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, the rules of the world, and not after Christ. Don't read this book and decide you're not going to believe it, what he's saying here. Don't be fooled. You've got to believe the Bible. That's all we've got. We had not seen Jesus. We had not been to heaven. All we've got is what we've read and what we've heard. But we've got to believe that. And convince people that what you say comes right from the Bible. That's the reason I teach like I do. I read it from the Bible. I, I, I try to define words that may be used different now than they were then. I want you to see what the Bible is doing talking to you. He talked to me and explained it to me and gave me the definition. Now I'm trying to share it with you. But I don't want you to think that it came out of my head no more than Paul did. It's coming to me from the book. So today, if you're going to be authentic, you've got to convince people that what you're saying comes exactly from the book, word for word, word for word. So then, we've come around from Jesus, what he tried to convince Paul 
and the saints, what they tried to convince people, that they were authentic until the Bible. And we've got it. Now what do you think about the Bible? I've heard everything about the Bible. I've heard that it can't be right because a bunch of old country boys that wasn't educated wrote it. <laughs> they don't give God credit for doing anything. And they think it is full of all kind of mistakes. It's not full of mistakes because God wouldn't let it be full of mistakes. My uncle, a Southern Baptist preacher, tried to convince me that there was error all through the Bible. Simply because Jesus said he was a door and everybody with a brain knew Jesus wasn't no door. He was using the terminology metaphorically. I know he wasn't a door. When I read he said he was a door, I knew we didn't have a doorknob. <laughs> now look what Jesus said, or look what Paul said, that Jesus taught him in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 8. You're right there. So look at verse 8. But though we are any angel from heaven, Paul says. I mean, if you hear it from an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Now that word accursed is damned to hell. Greatly damned to hell by God. So if a man stands in front of you and tries to explain anything but the way God meant for it to, God takes care of him. That's the reason you've got to be so careful what you let in your mind. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Or do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. There he says it again. Turn a few pages over to the right a little further. To 1 Timothy. In chapter 1. In verse 3. Timothy here is talking, I mean, uh, Paul is talking here to Timothy. He's trying to teach this young preacher what he ought to know and what he ought not to know. He was saved by his mother and his grandmother, saved by Jesus Christ, but he believed the gospel because they taught it to him as he was growing up. Verse 3 is, I besought thee to abide still at Ephesus. You remember, Timothy, when I told you to stay at Ephesus instead of going with me. When I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Timothy, I left you where you were. I told you to stay where you were so you could talk to those people who were teaching other doctrines. And you'd stop them from doing it. You'd correct them and make them preach like they're supposed to. 
neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith so do. What does Paul tell the young preacher Timothy? Don't get into arguments. Don't bring up the subject of genealogies or who your daddy was or your granddaddy was or all the way back to the came over on the Mayflower and all that junk. He said, don't listen to that. All it does is cause trouble. You're saved because your heart's changed. And you need to be edifying people godly in a godly way. Encourage them to be Christians. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart. The end of the commandment is love. That's what he's saying. And of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. That faith unfeigned is sincerity. Be sincere. Here it is. He's talking about being real. From which some having served have turned aside unto vain jangling. There's two places in my Bible I've got written sidetracked. This is one of them. The other was on Colossians 2.8. It's talking about reading the Bible and getting it off on some other track. Getting your mind changed to where you don't believe what the Bible says. By the way, you know what a sidetrack is, don't you? They got one down across from Shady Grove Church. That's a place where they put a train that has to wait on another train that's in a bigger hurry going to the place it's supposed to go. So when you get sidetracked, there's somebody ahead of you. They're more important than you. So what he's trying to tell us, don't get on the sidetrack. You stay on the main line. If there's a train coming up behind you, just drive a little faster. <laughs> but don't get on the sidetrack because at the other end of the sidetrack, there's usually an end of the track. The only way you can get off a of sidetrack is to back out and get back on the main idea. So don't let yourself get sidetracked. Don't read the Bible and not believe it. Turn over a few more pages to Hebrews chapter 1. This will be the last. We've looked at Jesus trying to convince people he came from the Father, from heaven. He's seen it all up there. Then we got Paul and Peter and the saints trying to convince people that what they're telling them is the same thing that Jesus said. And now we're looking at the book. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 says, God, who at sundry times, different times, and in different manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. That's the Old Testament. The word of the prophets. Hath he in these last days spoken to us by his Son? This is the New Testament whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also 
He made the worlds. That's where I got that Jesus created everything. It says in the beginning God created heaven and the earth. The God he's talking about there is Jesus. Jesus created everything. Why? Because God gave him that job to do. By whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, he looked just like God and he had the same glory that God had. And upholding all things by the word of his power, he had authority in his voice to command everything that God did. You remember 28th chapter of Matthew when it said that God gave Jesus all authority in heaven and in earth. He made Jesus in charge of everything. When he had by himself purged our sins sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus said he had a job to finish. God sent him a job to finish. And he finished it. He made it possible for us all to be saved when he purged us from our sins. Then he went to heaven and sat down on the right hand of God so he could be there to show us through the Holy Spirit that God put in us when we were saved how we could do greater things than Jesus could. He's the one that's organizing the whole thing. To lead us from heaven. And that's what he's doing up there now. Everything we say, every tone we use, any private liberty we might use, our freedom to do whatever we want to do, has got to be from the Bible. That's all we got to go on, folks. Jesus had to convince them that he was from heaven, that he was an own son of God, that he was just like God, that everything he did was what God showed him how to do and was doing through him. Then the saints, the first one saved, and Paul with his reputation he had. I mean, Peter had a bad reputation, you might say, because he's a nasty old fisherman, didn't ever take a bath. And he'd whoop a sword out and cut your ear off when he's aiming for your throat. But he didn't have the reputation Paul did, and Paul was trying to convince him, I came from Jesus too, just like Peter and James and the rest of them did. And then we look at the book. That's what we've got today. Do you believe it? You've got to. If it's in the book, you've got to believe it. Because that's where we get in trouble. When we've had a little taste of the book and we don't believe what it says. We do other things than what the book says. Oh, now Brother Joe, you know we really don't do that. You don't? Well, how many churches within five miles of here? And every one of them believe different. Yes, we do. That's our way. As long as we live in this body, we're going to be sinners. And as long as we're sinners, we're going to do it wrong. And as hard as God's working, with all the power he's got, we're still split up.
We don't believe a lot. And it's not the way it's supposed to be. So believe Jesus came from God. Believe that the first people saved were passing it on from Jesus. And believe that the Bible is true. Every single word. Maybe somebody can be convinced only if they're drawn by God. (laughs) They won't believe in unless they're drawn by God. Isn't that something? We're hard to reach. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. For each one of these verses and what they say and what they mean. I thank you, Lord, that you got a room full of people who believe in you and believe the Bible. Because they come and they want to hear it. Thank you for Jesus who started this whole thing by saving folks, telling them how to be saved. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.